Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shank needs to be in perfect the the premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. Premiers. The 2018 AFL Premiership team. The West Coast Eagles. G'day everyone. Welcome to the Big Footy Eagles podcast. Coming up on the show, we're dissecting the heartbreaking loss to the Bulldogs. We're naming our heroes and villains of the week. Talking AFLW and of course previewing the Eagles clash with the top of the ladder, Port Adelaide Power. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me this week is Miguel Sanchez. Miguel, how are you going? Yeah, all right. Yeah, a little bit flat after a loss, but uh, yeah, we've got to ride the ups and downs, I guess. A little bit earlier this week. It's just you and I this week. We're doing an early one because of uh, Easter scheduling and all sorts of moving parts. So we are recording this almost exactly on the heels of the Dogs game. It's still very raw and we will jump into it in just a second. But Miguel, yeah, it, it's a tough one. We're, we're two rounds into footy and already we've had a big up and a big down. It's it's a bit of a roller coaster this sport thing. It is a little bit, yeah, and I suppose we'll get into it. But I, yeah, I wasn't too up after the the Gold Coast game. Um, we had that discussion last week, and then yeah, I'm not too down after that loss on the weekend. So probably a good way to be. West Coast Eagles, 14 goals, 9, 93, were defeated by the Western Bulldogs, 14 goals, 16. 100. I'll start with some three-word reviews. As always, thank you very much to everybody who sent these ones through. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook at WCBFpod. Most of these from Twitter. We've got Rod Aldis to start. He wrote, too many passengers. Glenn Figg says, need Shuey back. Tyra said, where's the midfield? And Matt Sibum, Nick versus Bont. So a bit of a theme there, Miguel, and definitely something we'll be getting back to. Uh, another one on a theme from our very own Mr. KK. He tweeted at us and said, yeah, that sucks. And Corey J on Twitter also put, well, that sucked. So, you know, the fan base is at least unified in this area. Last but not least, Dylan Bloreau has written, good one, Crips. And we might as well start there, Miguel, because obviously the Jamie Cripps missed goal or kicking it into the man on the mark uh, from the goal square, essentially, it was a goal opportunity. It would have put us up three goals to start the fourth quarter. It would have been our biggest lead of the game and maybe, maybe broken it open. In the end, the Eagles go down by seven points. It's hard not to look back at that one and be very, very frustrated by a bit of a what-if moment there. Yeah, it was a bit of um, good sportsmanship, I thought, by Cripps because there was no way the free kick was there. Yeah, um, no, never a free kick. He, he, yeah, he dragged the ball under the Bulldogs player and then and got the free kick for it. So um, good sportsmanship by him to yeah, kick into the man on the mark and, and not give up a goal. And then... Um, Good sportsmanship by the umpire down the other end, not long after that, to... Uh, <laughs> not ping gov. Yeah, to not ping gov for the exact same thing. So, um, funny how it worked out. Yeah, that was... Uh, there was quite a few moments, um, particularly in that last quarter. I, I thought we um, we had some chances to ice the game and, and we missed them that we uh, uh, that we would have been taking earlier in the game. But, yeah, it was just um, one of those games where it was just moments and you know, little moments could swing it either way. And it was... 
Um, I'm sure if you're watching it as a neutral, it was a, a great game of football because it, it was really exciting. And yeah, just unfortunately, we uh, we ended up on the wrong side of the ledger. Yeah, you said it there. We had our chances to win the game. And if you read my posting in the match day thread on Big Footy, there was a lot of umpire chat. And, you know, I try not to get sucked into the umpire chat, but I'm only human and I do sometimes during the heat of battle. But we maybe will talk about it a little bit later. A confusing day on the whistle. Once you get the opportunities, though, that the Eagles had, that was Crips. We had some more behinds in the last quarter, even in the dying minutes of the game, you know, about a minute left, and we've got an opportunity to, to go inside 50 as well. Once you have that many opportunities, it, it, I find it pretty difficult to blame the umpires, albeit, you know, if you went through my posting history, you probably would disagree from the from the middle quarters. But yeah, some inconsistencies there, but the Eagles ultimately, Miguel, they had their chances. They just didn't take them. There were some things to like, though. You know, Nick Nat was fantastic. Tom Barras has really started the year well. Kennedy, Darling and Allen are going to be very difficult to stop all three of those. And, you know, they all sort of got off the chain. What about Jermaine Jones as well? He had three goals, including what could have been the match winner and some really nice forward craft to read the pack, stay down and and get a little easy one out the back to potentially win the game. What did you like about the game? We'll start things positive. Just take us through, you know, frustrating result, but as you said, a good game. And, and what did you like most about it? Well, overall, I thought it was um, there was a fair bit we could take out of it. Um, I mean, the Bulldogs are, I think they finished top six last year. They've improved this year. They should be aiming for top four. They're at full strength, pretty much. I can't think of anyone they were missing to the point that uh, Norm Smith medalist Jason Johannesson was their buddy medical sub. They couldn't even get a run in the 22. Um, Our Norm Smith medalist didn't get a run either, to be fair. Uh, I've got to think who that was. Oh, that'll be Luke Shuey. Oh, Shuey, yeah. God, <laughs> thinking, hang on, no, Gaff, no, Gaff didn't play. Um, yeah, that, Bulldogs, a uh, strong team at home, um, coming off the the nine-day break as opposed to our seven-day break, and um, we did manage to push them all the way through to the final minute. So, uh, yeah, the, the result, disappointing, obviously, but um, in terms of you know, where it leaves our expectations for our season, I, I don't think it changes anything, the fact that we ended up seven points down rather than seven points up in that game. Yeah, Barras, you mentioned um, really positive uh, thought uh, in the first half when we were down, maybe not on the scoreboard so much, but just in just about every other statistical category, we were down at half time, not getting our hands on the ball. Bulldogs were really controlling the game and controlling the tempo. Um, I thought uh, he in particular, but the, the defence as a whole, stood up really well in, in that period. The three forwards you mentioned as well. I think Kennedy, Darling and Allen kicked nine goals between them on top of their eight the week before. So uh, the way they're working together is really pleasing. The move to put uh, Nelson on Bontempelli might have come a bit late. I mean, it was obvious by quarter time that Bontempelli was dictating terms to us, so I'm not sure why we waited so long to make that move, but switching Nelson in as a tagger seemed to work well. Uh, so that, that's a, something in our arsenal we can use uh, during the season. Uh, yeah, so yeah, fair bit to like, but I suppose a fair bit to uh, to dislike as well, the fact that we didn't midfield didn't really take advantage of Nat Nui's dominance. Yeah, a bit disappointing. And uh, Tim Kelly, I thought, had one of those almost games where he did get, he put up some fairly good numbers, but uh, so often the ball just seemed to bounce the wrong way for him as he was running onto it. And yeah, he could have had a really big game and, and could have won it for us, really. But just the, the bounce of the ball and just circumstances um, got away from him a bit. It felt like that. It also felt like that when we last played the Bulldogs, which was that game where there was the score of new controversy and all of that sort of stuff. I see people saying, oh, this is typical, maybe not using the word typical, but, you know, oh, oh, here we go again where the Eagles lose a close game. 
I'm always of the opinion that you remember the bad ones and you don't remember the good ones. You know, for example, you remember umpiring calls that go against you, but most people wouldn't turn around and acknowledge, oh, they didn't ping McGovern for that one or they didn't ping, you know, whatever. You don't remember the ones that help you out. Tim English, for example, had a mark paid in the middle of the ground or rather not paid, clear as day mark, but we're all upset because they didn't pay Liam Ryan's mark. So it's like, well, you know, they, they, they did balance out a little bit. Similarly, every fan base thinks their club can't tackle. Every fan base thinks their club gives up late goals. Every fan base goes, oh, we lose the close ones yet again and, and sort of rule out the, the close wins you have. You know, last year we had a close loss to the Dogs, but I think we backed it up with a close win to the, uh, to the Saints. So, you know, d- does that even out? It's just one of those days where cracking game of footy, someone had to lose. Given that they traded the lead so many times, maybe if there was another minute left in the quarter, you know, maybe the Eagles make something happen. Who knows? But it is in the books as a loss. Moving away from this game specifically, one thing that we've seen in the first couple of weeks that is a worrying trend for me, Miguel, Andrew Gaff's output. Now, accumulation has never been the issue. Whether you absolutely love him or you think, yeah, he's, you know, he racks them up, but what does he do with it? Accumulation has never, ever been a question around Andrew Gaff's game. Suddenly it is. 16 disposals per game this season, and he's only gone under 24 disposals per game twice in his career. Once was in his debut season where he's a sub a whole bunch. The other time was in his third season as well. But So even with shortened quarters, he's not going below 24. Currently, he's getting 16 touches a game. What is going on with Andrew Gaff, and, and how do we fix it? It's a weird one, isn't it? Because he was one that we picked to have a big season with the uh, the reduced rotations and the the quarters going back to their normal length. And he, he's still running a lot. Yeah. Um, checked on the, uh, the tracker, the Telstra tracker trademark. He ran 16.2 kilometres for 16 touches. So that's um, just doing some uh, quick sums. It's about a kilometre for every touch, I think. Have I got that right? I was told there'd um, be no maths. Good. That's that's as far as I'm going into it. Um, <laughs> but running a kilometre to get a touch seems inefficient, to say the least. So, yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, I did see someone on Twitter having the, the conversation with Ryan Daniels, our uh, football journalist idol, about what it is about Gaff, and, and uh, he was of the opinion that he's, it's just his running patterns aren't sort of fitting into uh, the new game style with the new rules, and he's just going to have to adapt. So that seems like a, a reasonable exp- explanation to me. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, the home game this week and, and being able to maybe see that, watch that a bit for myself and and see if that's the case because you, uh, you, you can't really make – I wasn't watching for it in the first game and you can't really make it out on TV. So – that's a that's um, as good an explanation as any, I think. Just that he's still running just as hard. He's just not running to places where his teammates are looking to use him at the moment. So um, yeah, we'll have to uh, have to adapt because he is a, an important uh, important cog for us, and we need to find a way for yeah his gut busting endurance to uh, to work within the team system. Obviously, with our midfield in a in a bit of a depleted state at the moment, missing Shuey, missing Yo, you need guys like Gaff to stand up. We already discussed a little bit Kelly. Just so close to having a game where he ripped it apart. Sheed lifted. Natanui was phenomenal. Uh, no matter what random Melbourne fans on Big Footy might be thinking on this fine Monday morning. But uh, the midfield, it's just not quite clicking yet. Obviously, there's talent to come back. You also brought it up before. Let's discuss Jackson Nelson. Because we saw Pontempelli carve the Eagles up in the first quarter. Second quarter, he got off the chain with a goal. Third quarter, he added an early goal. So two minutes and 45 seconds into the third quarter, he kicked his second goal. He'd had 25 touches to that point. Jackson Nelson had not been in the centre whatsoever at that point. He hadn't attended a centre bounce. He was immediately in the centre bounce at the next one. He had 14 centre bounces from that point on, as I said, having had none in the first half. 
Now, Bont did only have five touches from that point on. Of course, he kicked the game-sealing goal, but to me, that's a little bit of a, you know, you've thrown everything forward to try and win the game with a minute left. So that, you know, whatever, it is what it is. Yeah, he was he was just the one who got out the back. It could have been um, anybody. That's right. It could have yeah. been Johannesson. You know, it could have been anybody at all. Uh, so five touches from Bont after they put Nelson on him. It must be said, though, Bont did spend some time forward as well. So either way, we saw Nelson staying in the middle, used as a bit of a, a tagger, a bit of a cooler, good day, Simo, for the second half. Is that something that we can rely on? Is it something where perhaps, you know, we'll get to this in our changes, but can you say, oh, is, is Jackson Nelson a midfielder now and you move Duggan back into the back line or something like that? Or is it just one of those break glass in case of emergency setups for you, Miguel? Yeah, I think it's an option we can use and, and a lever that um, Simo can pull. And that's probably an advantage of well as of having um, Duggan in the midfield uh, is that if you do need to throw Nelson in there and take him out of that back rotation, then you can sort of do a switch and it's it's fairly like for like. Um, another option, I suppose, is you could just get Duggan to do the role that Nelson would do and, and just get him to follow they're similar builds, and you know, Duggan's got a bit of aggro about him as well. He could see him doing that role, but no, Nelson. I think his future is as a backman. And yeah, if we can, if we are looking to use a cooler to uh, quieten down someone who's gotten off the chain a bit, then you make that change. But I think um, yeah, Nelson's first role will be uh, in the back line and and that'll just be a a little string to his bow when we need it. And another one potentially for changes. It's not one I'm desperate to make, but we will get to that when we get to our Port Adelaide chat. Rounding off the Dogs game and the midfield coverage, Xavier O'Neill, his output early on seemed to be right up, but to me it seemed like he didn't quite have the influence late. Now, that sort of coincided with the other mids stepping up for the Eagles, so is is it a matter of he was just maybe squeezed out a little bit? Because he did look very clean in the first half. I just didn't see so much of him in the second half. Miguel, is he the sort of guy that you think it's worth just blindly persisting with, or do we still need to see a little bit of output from him? Where do you sit on Xavier O'Neill at the moment? Yeah, he was a little bit quiet. Um, Didn't get a lot of game time. I think he had 67% game time or something. So, yeah, I I think he's one that we just need to um, persist with, help build his confidence, build his experience and his decision-making, and, yeah, we'll see the results out of that. Uh, he didn't do anything. Uh, I don't recall him uh, put, making any howlers or getting beaten or anything. He just sort of wasn't there. So, yeah, when when he's on, I think he's pretty reliable. So, yeah, just um, keep him in the team, keep him around the team and um, keep getting yeah, minutes into him. And, yeah, that'll uh, probably raise itself a bit in the changes uh, when they come up. Jack Redden, um, we didn't really talk about him, but I um, I thought he played a pretty good game. I was worried about him in the... Uh, after the first one, and thought O'Neill had probably gone past him, but he's um, th- there's a bit of a battle on for when Shuey comes back as to who gets dropped. But I, th- I think Redden put his hand up and showed that he was uh, he's not ready to be dropped just yet. I think sort of moved he might have moved out to Duggan's role a bit out on that wing in the the second half, but he was good. He had four good quarters. I thought he uh, was pretty prominent inside in the first half, and then. Um, got back and helped out a bit in in the back line in the second half. So, uh, yeah, I was impressed with his game. Moving along in the show, it's time to turn our attention to the AFLW. The Eagles AFLW season wrapped up yesterday. Miguel, this year they were able to complete the full home and away season at least, so that was nice. The girls finish off with a pretty significant loss to the Saints, it must be said, 20-76. to 76. 
it was sort of a who's available. They didn't really have much by way of ins and outs in, in terms of they were all outs. They just had to pick the warm bodies that they had, meaning no disrespect to the players there. But, Miguel, a few key troops down, and it definitely showed in the last game of the season. Yeah, by the end. Um, had started off with some injury worries as well. And then by the end, we had, um, by the end of the season, they had yeah, basically the 21 that played with the, the 21 fit players, as you said. Our two emergencies were two of the, uh, the train-on girls from Claremont who aren't actually officially in the squad. And then uh, one of them was probably seconds away from coming through too because uh, Paris Laurie, who was uh, acting skipper in the absence of captain and the vice-captain, did her ankle in the warm-up against uh, St Kilda, uh, went off, got it strapped and sort of ran on the ground just as the siren was sounding. So um, not not an ideal preparation. And, and then she was propping throughout the game and did her ankle again and ended up sort of just resting forward and, and not having any impact on the game really. Uh, so yeah, disappointing way for the season to finish, but definite signs of improvement throughout the season. I think only won the two games, but they were a lot more competitive, um, a bit more scoring. Um, yeah, seemed to be working better together, and uh, yeah, saw some improvement, real improvement from players like uh, Michaela Bowen, uh, Bella Lewis, draftee. Um, the Irish girls are all improved as well. Uh, Maddie Collier had a good. Uh, she was another one that was missing on the weekend. She had a good season, so. Um, uh, yeah, a lot, lot to look forward to. Didn't quite put it on the scoreboard, but yeah, definitely uh, an upward trajectory for them. As you said, the two wins, which is of course an improvement on the first season, that's nice. Uh, nearly, I know it's, it's there's going to be a lot of nearly and a lot of almost in, in this chat, I guess, but very nearly got the first away win against Richmond and, and they really, really could have. They were, they were just minutes away from that one. Yeah, like you said, look, the Irish girls fitting in. McCarthy came in and showed a bit when she was available uh, Imara Cameron had a, had a couple of nice days, things like that. Chantella Pereira was really good. I think that she came in last year with some high hopes and, and maybe didn't deliver on them quite to the level we would have liked, but she looked like a real general down back and you know actually even pushed up the ground a little bit more this year. So there's definitely individual stuff to like. The other thing, Miguel, that I liked was I know what the Eagles AFLW game style is this year. And to be honest, last year I probably couldn't have told you. You know, in the same way that people can describe Adam Simpson's kick mark game style in the men's, I know what the girls are looking to do. There's a lot of switches. There's a lot of getting it out to the far side and running, a lot of run and carry, a lot of bounces and getting it into some fast players, good users, getting them out in space. So, you know, it's nice that there's a game plan that even when it's not coming off, I can see where they're building with this. You know, it's, it is a promising sign. It's a promising base point to have as they launch into the third season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, managed to put some, some scores on the board, uh, even if they weren't winning scores. Too often, uh, it was more than a goal or two goals a week. And uh, yeah, a leading goal scorer will go to someone who kicked uh, more than two goals this year. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to get stuck into it too much, but last year, our leading goal scorer was the only one who kicked more than one. So yeah, definite signs of improvement there. Yeah, and this year you had, I mean, Imara Cameron kicked three goals in, what, a five-minute span at one point in that Cats game? Yeah. You know, the Kellys um, had yeah, multiple Grace, goal scorers. Grace Kelly had, yeah, she kicked two on the weekend and that was her second lot of multiple goals for the year. So yeah, definite improvement there. What would you like to see the program add? I think the big consensus in the first off-season was we need a target up forward. We need somebody to straighten us up. Grace Kelly did lift a lot, you know, and we've discussed Cameron played okay. There's there's a bit of talent down forward that perhaps wasn't there in year one. But for me, I honestly think go back, dip back in that pool. We need a big, we need somebody to straighten us up and some sort of target to really pay off this good ball movement. Yeah, I, I think that's still what we need. Um, Andrea Gilmore looked like she might have been that uh, in the first couple of games. Didn't hold too many of her marks, but uh, did provide a focal point and, and crash a pack. And um, 
kicked a really good goal uh, in, I think, her second game and then um, went off with concussion and we never saw her again, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, she was one that um, that could provide that. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll be, I don't follow the uh, women's Colts too much, but Amy Franklin at Claremont seems to be the consensus for our first pick. Um, yeah, if we can uh, go out and, and find a, another um, key forward to play down there, maybe alongside Gilmore and... Uh, yeah, try and build that forward line because that's probably the, the missing link. The uh, the back line's looking really strong. Stood up well under uh, some big numbers of forward entries from opposition this week and the midfield's building around um, the senior players when they come back and, and Bowen and Lewis. But yeah, it's probably just that forward line that needs a bit of work. Yeah, Amy Franklin, definitely one to watch. She seems to be the consensus, not just on our board, but obviously with the way they draft in, in geographical pools. You go to the Frio board, you read their women's coverage as well. Amy Franklin seems like a bit of a slam dunk for our first pick of the season. 180 centimetres, and you think Paris Laurie's playing in the ruck, 178 centimetres. So if you can get a little bit more height, a little bit, you know, something to kick to, something to straighten the side up. Yeah, things looking good for the AFLW side. Not a great way to cap off the season, but uh, all in all, trending in the right direction. Heroes and villains time for the week. Thank you to everybody who got in touch about this one. Seemed to be a pretty popular segment last week, Miguel, and we even had some suggestions for uh, for the title, for the name. We're not wed to heroes and villains. It serves its purpose for now, but if you've got anything better, feel free to send it through. We have uh, Dropkicks and Legends was one suggestion, Studs and Spuds, Bogs and Flogs. So, you know, there's uh, there's plenty to <laughs> like there by way of titles. We'll get into it now. Miguel, over to you. Let's start negative. I'm a bit angry. I'm a bit grumpy. The Eagles have had a loss. Who was one of your biggest villains for the week this week? Uh, I think I texted you during the game and said, yeah, I've got my villain for the week already and um, we've probably got the same one. Um, and it's the umpire who took mark of the year off Leon Ryan um, because he <laughs> didn't have a good enough view of it. Uh, and I think it was Brent Wallace. That was who oh, Ryan no. was talking to at quarter time afterwards. And, and that raises another point to me. Should the son of a former Footscray player and coach be umpiring Bulldogs games? This goes all the way to the top. This yeah, is another well, Vico I mean, conspiracy. I'm not. I'm not saying he had. You no, know, we, we did a bit on the umpires before, and I'm not saying he had anything to do with the result or you know, any of the umpires really affected the result. And there were plenty of poor calls both ways, which we could spend ages talking about. But should the son of a former Footscray player and coach be umpiring Footscray games? Can you imagine the outcry if? Charlie Worsfold was named as an umpire for an Eagles game. Well, hang on, hang on. To be fair, Miguel, Dean Margetts has umpired the Eagles game and he's a lifelong Eagles member and was the best man at Dean Cox's wedding and his wife works for the West Coast Eagles front office. So, you know. Of course, yeah. That is a bit hypocritical of you, mate. Uh, And I'm sure, I don't know how much of a Perth Glory fan you are, but there was the... uh, Oh, you're about to ask me about Jared Gillette? Correct. Oh, (laughs) going on a tangent because, you know, I can't resist bringing up Leeds United. They were unfortunately in the championship for a little while, 16 years, it doesn't matter. But Jared Gillette moved from the A-League to the championship and the second he got a Leeds game, I was absolutely filthy. He does VAR now. I think he does VAR for the Premier League now. So go on then, what was his connection? Was this when they robbed the glory uh, against the Raw way back when? Yeah, and his, didn't his girlfriend work in the front office of the Raw or something? Is that right? Something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge glory fan or a huge soccer fan but um that's just what it reminded me of when you said um when you when you said about markets but yeah i know, I, know. I, I mean when, i hate markets as much as any umpire i think so i don't think he gives us yeah that's what blows me away but it's just it's it's not not even about the um the results it's just the the perceived bias mm. if you know, someone with a connection with a name with a connection to that club umpires that club's games yeah 
Very fair and point. I suppose, it's, I suppose it's hard for Wallace because his dad moved around a bit. Um, so there's a few clubs that you'd be ruling him out of if you went that way. But he had a pretty significant uh, connection to Footscray back in the day. So, yeah, I don't think it's a good look. Yeah, and then you've got former players. You've got former players, people who've been moving into, you know, into umpiring, out of playing. There was the clip yeah, last true. week of Roden giving uh, giving a Port Adelaide player a little bit of a high five in the as a goal umpire, which doesn't influence oh, anything. Yeah. It can't change anything. But, you know, there's just these things that rub people the wrong way, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah. certainly worth raising. What about this? Similar theme. Should ex-players, should board directors, should people heavily, heavily involved in football clubs be umpiring? Should they be bloody commentating, Miguel? Luke Darcy, oh. shut up. Just shut your mouth. Oh, my God. This is the exact reason we had these live commentaries that we were doing last year. It was for this exact reason. Insufferable commentary. And you've got yeah. writers from the age... At, at least got... we're openly biased. Well, that, we do. do you know what? I, I don't have an issue with biased commentary as long as it's on the label. You know, in the NBA, every club has their own commentary team and then there is the national commentary team. So if it is that much of an issue, you can sign up to the NBA League Pass, you can listen to the Lakers commentary if you want, you know, or the Clippers commentary or whoever it is you want to listen to, you can listen to your team. And it's sometimes, some are more biased than others, some are more neutral than others, but you know what you're signing up for. Your national commentary team cannot have somebody on the board of the club they're commentating. We've seen this with Eddie for so many years. Jermaine Jones kicks what could well be a game winner. Yeah, nice little golf clap, pat on the back. And then Norton takes a chess mark. It was, you know, it's a good mark, crucial time, and you expect him to kick the goal, which of course he did. Jesus Christ, I thought Luke Darcy was going to pass out. The other side of that, the Geelong-Brisbane game, which had a really controversial finish on the Friday night. I was listening to the ABC radio coverage of it. Uh, Cameron Ling was on uh, doing special comments, and he was as adamant as anyone that that was a free kick against Blitzarves. So I don't really want to give Cameron Ling too many plaudits, but you know, at least he was uh, taking off his uh, his blue and white glasses on that occasion. But yeah, Darcy, yeah, that was pretty unlistenable. Richo basically be in tears on the uh, the Channel 7 commentary when Richmond broke through for the 2017 Premiership. That was yeah, pretty unlistenable as well. And it does seem to be the uh, the Victorian clubs more than us that, that get that sort of treatment. Hey, we um, have PAV, so, you know. Yeah. WA boys all have PAV to listen to. That's You can only play the hand you dealt. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It seems like a no-brainer. The umpires one actually has more consequence because you can, you know, bad commentary doesn't influence the game, but... Jesus, it, it just seems like a no-brainer. And I think it was, was it Daniel Cherney? Does he write for the, for the Age? There was some Age journal was having a huge go at it. I'm thinking, well, you've got a Victorian newspaper that's pissed off by it in a game yeah. involving one Victorian side and one non-Victorian side. So, you know, it's not like he's a big Eagles fan that was getting rubbed the wrong way. Just awful, unlistenable. Uh, yeah, Luke Darcy, just, just shut up. Miguel, Villain of the Week, your call. Who do you like? I had one other nomination. Oh, hit me. Yeah, go for it. short with one. Uh, It it was me for being stupid enough to read Facebook comments. (laughs) Why didn't Hutchings Hutchings play when we need a tagger? Oh, what about about when Jermaine Jones was... What about when Jermaine Jones last week was given the the nod and somebody asked in the thing, oh, who's this? And there was a little... Did you see this this image? No, I didn't see that. Okay, so there was an image of someone... you know, not obsessed, just a fan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not obsessed, just a fan. They were basically asking, "Oh, who's this boy? What's his story?" And somebody in the replies spelled it out. You know, here's who he is, and he yeah. played well last year. Blah blah blah. And then they replied, and they went, "Oh, that's good. You know, hope he goes well." What's happening with Lewis Jetta? When are we going to pick him? You know, so get out <laughs> all the Facebook commenters out there. Uh, villain of the week. I I think Luke Darcy just for sheer insufferability, but I'm happy for it to be your call. Who do you who do you hate? Uh, seeing the other main nomination was. 
Brent Wallace. I don't really want to get into umpire bashing. And the other one was me. Yeah, I'll vote for Luke Darcy. <laughs> okay, very good. Congratulations, Luke. Uh, hero of the week. A couple of easy ones for me, just from a game perspective. Nick Natanui, he's very good at football, isn't he? Boy, he's fun to watch. And Liam Ryan, he set the ceiling so high that I thought, oh, he had a quiet game. But then when I went back and thought about it, you know, he nearly took mark of the year several times, kicked two goals. One of them was a potential goal of the week candidate. You know, he, he really does make stuff just look so damn simple. So yeah. really embarrassing on the uh, the Bulldogs defender there and, and turned him inside out and then outside in again and then walked into an open goal. So, yeah, a couple of yeah, nice little heroes there. someone described it as bullying, I think, which was pretty apt. It was. Just absolutely taking his lunch. Just embarrassing. So some easy up and down heroes there. Miguel, do you have anything better than that for me, though? Since it's the last opportunity, we'll get to nominate any of the uh, the AFLW players. I'll go for um, Neve Kelly. Um, she's one that we talked about as having improved a lot this year. Um, but main reason for the nomination is that she seems to take one of those um, you know, Nick Rewalt slash Jonathan Brown running headfirst into an oncoming pack with no regard for her personal safety mark of the year marks <laughs> once a week. week. And it, yeah, it doesn't seem to get much um, attention, but she yeah, just throws herself backwards into these packs and uh, not only comes up without a scratch, but also takes the bloody mark. So, yeah, um, very impressive. Comes up grinning. Last year, she got the round two mark of the week, I think it was, against GWS. And it was the first one of those. It was under the flight of the ball. It was about 40 seconds left in the game and it was a huge blowout, so it didn't matter at all, which was kind of why it got glossed over. But she got mark of the week for that. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, that's good. You know, she's adjusting pretty well. She does it every single week now and she's not. She's just not been nominated since. Is the standard of marking getting that much better that we just ignore these beautiful, beautiful marks? So yeah, good on yeah, you, Neve Kelly. Apparently. Another hero here, It's de- he definitely can't win. I refuse to let him win, but I'm a little bit hat in hand about this one. Uh, Hocking. Stand on the mark rule. It actually works, Miguel. It's actually quite Ugh. good. No, I know. I know. I'm not happy about nah, it either. We'll edit this section out. Thanks. <laughs> He's not winning. He's not winning, but I'll nominate him and we'll move along. But yeah, I actually think it works. It opens the game up in a way I didn't realize was uh, was there. So yeah, well done. Yeah. Andrew Gaff doesn't like it. Um, oh, villain. Scrap that. Seems, yeah. <laughs> villain. Um, I think uh, KK nominated the tribunal last week. They've pinged Sam Reed for that bump on uh, Fife, which... I don't know. When you look at it, I, I'm not convinced it was a bump. I thought it was a brace. So, But, yeah, they're being serious about you know, any anything that causes a concussion. I thought it was a bump, but it was nice to see that he got less than Dangerfield, which basically means that Nat Fife's health and well-being is worth less to the tribunal than whatever Adelaide player uh, got hit. So I appreciate that. That was just made me laugh a little bit. Uh, Hero of the week. You, you nominated Neve Kelly. I like Neve Kelly. Shall we give it to Neve Kelly? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Come on down. Neve Kelly, Hero of the Week. West Coast Eagles versus Port Adelaide, 5.10pm on Saturday. Welcome home. We are back at Optus Stadium. Miguel, Port Adelaide have been on top of the AFL ladder for about 20 weeks now. They started the season last year, round one, on top of the ladder. They held it all year, and they've started round one, now round two, top of the ladder. They're looking comfortable. They're looking good. This is a massive, massive opportunity for the Eagles to say, yep, we are right back in this conversation. We mean serious business this year. Yeah, it's uh, definitely another huge challenge for us. I will say about Port, they haven't had the hardest opening to a season ever. Um, they've faced North, who are almost certain wooden spooners, and uh, and then Essendon, who probably bottom four to bottom six. But in their defence, you can only beat the size that you face. Yeah, another really tough game for us, uh, another short turnaround, six-day break. We've had a few Easter games against Port uh, and haven't gone well from uh, from my recollection. 
Yeah, they're, they're the form team of the competition. Um, very tough across the board. Very tough to find any sort of uh, any weaknesses in their lineup. Whereas um, the Bulldogs, you sort of you, know, you could look at the key forwards or the key defenders and, and say, look, there's some areas I think we can exploit. I can't see any. Uh, for Port, they're probably one of the few sides, if not the only side, with a, a back line that can match up on our three tall forwards. They've got some tall forwards of their own that we'll have our hands full with. Um, uh, Barassel, uh, he's had some good battles with Dixon in the past, but he's giving up probably three to four inches on Dixon, so yeah, big challenge for him. In the ruck, uh, we've got Lysette and Laddams, which is you know, neither of them are all Australians, but it's a really good pair. Uh, Lysette knows Nick Nat's game inside and out, I assume, having played alongside him for so long. Laddams, good enough really to be a number one ruck somewhere and, and did have some interest last year. He's uh, he stayed at Port uh, alongside Lysette, but yeah, that's a, a really um, formidable duo. Uh, and of course, it's the midfield that has been an issue. The midfields we've come up against so far in the last two weeks have been really strong, and we've got another one here. Uh, got a lot of stars with uh, Boak, uh, Gray, Ollie Wines, Rockliffe can't even get a look in. Um, we've got some upcoming stars like uh, Dersmer and Butters in there. and So, yeah, it's looking like it'll be like the Bulldogs game, except that um, Port have got a forward line that'll be able to take advantage if they if they get on top and get the supply. So it sounds like we're no chance. So, uh, anyway, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. I just phone this one in. Yeah, well... Uh, actually, I think, gamble responsibly, but I think the Eagles were favourites going into this one. So if you're that certain on it, there uh, might be something to be made there. But anyway, we'll move along. Ins and outs, Miguel. I mentioned earlier, I'm struggling with these because the injury list is where it is. In fact, I'll run through it now. We don't have the latest from the club. So basically, I'll be taking one off last week's injury list. But it means you've got Jared Cameron at two to three weeks, Mark Hutchings two to three weeks, Luke Shuey last week was listed as 1-2. to two. We'll stop the injury reporting there and start speculating wildly. 1-2 to two comes down to 0-1, to one, you know, test to 1. Do we think Luke Shuey has a chance to return this week? Uh, I hope so, because we need him. And um, I don't know if you want me to do changes yet, but yeah, I've got him coming in if he's available. Oh, interesting. Um, because, yeah, I think we need that extra sort of rotation and through there against um, extra big senior experienced body against... Yeah, Wines and Gray and Boak and Dersmer and Butters and everyone else. So, um, yeah, if he's available, I mean, he's had a very interrupted pre-season, but obviously captain, experienced player, um, A-grader when he's fit. Yeah, definitely get him in if if he is available. Uh, Rounding out the injury list, we've got Jake Waterman last week listed as one week with a back. Obviously, you subtract a week from that, you say he's a test or potentially available. Miguel, I would suggest he's going to get a run-through in the waffle, but again, I might bring that up when I do my ins and outs. Bailey Williams last week was 2-3. to three. Let's bring that down to 1-2. to two. Elliot Yo, we still haven't heard anything. It does not bode well. Ins and outs. So, obviously, if Shuey is available, he's coming in. I'm not sure that I expect him to be available, uh, but for myself, other other than those really obvious ones, you know, bringing in your Shueys or, or Yo, if there was some sort of miracle... I'm struggling. I want to make changes. I don't know what changes to make. So lead the way, Miguel. What do you like this week? Uh, well, look, I'm I'm going to assume for this purpose that uh, Shuey's available. So bring him in. You look at that midfield unit and it's probably O'Neill is the one to go out, having been a little quiet uh, on the weekend. But actually, I'd be leaving him in, uh, dropping Langdon, who's had two quiet games in a row. I don't think he's really adding enough uh, for us in that role at the moment, unfortunately. So, yeah, I'd, I'd bring in Shuey effectively have him and O'Neill job share that sixth midfielder role uh, and Lagnon's role. Shuey could, you know, play a bit bit of time forward, get thrown into the middle as a bit of an impact player. Yeah, split that time. Um, 
I think O'Neill and Langdon both had probably under seventy percent game time. So there's between those two roles, there's not a lot of um, of actual time on ground that we need to get out of Shuey. Uh, O'Neill can bump it up a bit. Um, so yeah, I think that'd work. Yeah, other than that, as you said, there's not a lot to come in. Um, Archie had a good game the previous week in the waffle. Travelled as the emergency. He's um he's a good emergency to have, I think, because he he's versatile. He can come in and sort of play anywhere on the ground. Uh, but we can't have him do that two weeks in a row. And I don't know um, if Shuey's not available. I don't know that I'd bring in Archie for Langdon. I don't want Langdon out of the team that much. So Petrocelli didn't get a great write-up for his waffle game. Uh, wasn't a lot of coverage available of that waffle game. But uh, yeah, Petch didn't. It got dropped. Um, went back down there. Probably didn't do enough to force his way back in. By the sound of it, so Langdon's uh, been quiet. But you can see that there is a degree of forward craft there. Like I was saying with Jones. I think I said this yesterday to Oker. I think I told him, you know, Jermaine Jones getting in that spot for that game-winning goal, I cannot imagine for a second. It looks like an easy spot to be, you know, out the back of a pack. I can't imagine Petch in that spot. I just can't picture him getting to that spot. I'm sure he would be out of the way or running in a certain direction and take himself just out of it. It just, you know, that seemed like natural forward craft to me. Langdon is getting to some good spots. He's just not getting a lot of the footy and, you know, some of the tackles aren't sticking yet. The pace doesn't look quite there. That is a different discussion to does he understand what he's doing. I'd rather persist with someone who gets the spot than go immediately back to Petrocelli at the moment. But while we're talking about uh, Archie, maybe not in for Langdon, maybe in for Nathan Vardy. He only played 50% game time. We're basically carrying uh, you know one less guy on the bench for the sake of it. You can't have someone who's only playing 50% game time. Obviously, he's there to accommodate Nick Nat. We've discussed the two-ruck policy, and, and I think... You and I both agree that if Bailey Williams were available, he'd be playing instead of Vardy. But do you almost just cop it this week against a really good ruck division? You, you kind of go one or two ways. You lean all the way into battling it, or you've completely conceded it, and you bring someone like Archie in, who he does ruck a little bit in the waffle, and he'd certainly be more use than Vardy once the ball hits the deck off your Laddams, off your Lysette, or off your, you know, and maybe even off your Nat Nui's. Yeah, I'm um, probably a bit of an outlier with this, is that I didn't think Vardy had that bad a game. I don't think he weekend. was that bad. He was better this week than last week. He was absolutely, yeah, absolutely. better this week. Apart from the fact he didn't get forward and, and kick a Bradbury goal. But he, yeah, I thought 50%. he competed well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you look at that 50%, but as well, you think, well, yeah, we're, we're sacrificing an extra running player by having him sitting on the bench for 50% of game time. But then, yeah, O'Neill sitting on the bench for 33% of game time, Langdon sitting on the bench for 33% of game time. We've got extra running capacity there already that we're not using. So would add you know, would adding Archie and, and playing him sixty percent of the time make any difference? I'd yeah, I'd, especially against the big ruck divisions like Lysette and Laddams. And I'm worried as well about, you know, the temptation if you do that with uh with Archie that you'll ruck Nick Nat too much if Archie's his backup and you'll break him and that leaves us with no one. So I'm comfortable leaving Vardy in there for uh, at least one more week. Maybe uh, the, the following week we've got the Saints. If Williams isn't back at the moment, they're going with Paul Hunter and uh, someone, Sean McKernan, I think. If Vardy has another sort of quietish game this week and Williams isn't back, then maybe you'd look at making a drastic change like that um, the following week. But no, I'd um, against the two big bodies that Port have got, I'd uh, I'd be leaving Vardy in. I think for our structure as well. I mean, he's he's a placeholder. I think we've all accepted he's a placeholder for Williams. So we just play the game that we're planning to play for the season and just have Vardy there in a, a Bailey Williams mask and get used to that. I think that's 
better than sort of throwing all of that out and, and playing an extra runner and, and having him play the Sean Griggs sort of pinch-hitting ruck role. Yeah, I'm, um, I'd be leaving Vardy in. You look at the power, 37 hit-outs a game. That's fourth in the league, obviously, very early on in the season, small sample sizes and all, but that 37 per game, fourth in the league. The Eagles, 37.5 hit-outs per game, third in the league. Definitely the ruck battle looms large. Just to finish off changes, if Shuey's in, yeah, Shuey for Langdon, done. I'm happy with that. If not, I'm genuinely leaning towards no change. I'd like Waterman in, but I don't know that he's going to be ready. Uh, maybe does Witherden come in and you move some magnets around? Again, I'm not really sure on that. So honestly, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised even after a frustrating loss if they go in with, with no change. Yeah, same. I can't see another change. Langdon's sort of the one on the hot seat for me. I, if Shuey's not available, I don't think he... Um, I don't think adding Archie or bringing back Petrocelli makes us any better uh, in that role. Uh, Waterman, I'm almost certain, will come back through the waffle. He basically had no preseason with a back injury, so um, they'll need to get some game time into him. Yeah, and Vardy problem we've discussed. Uh, Witherden not getting great write-ups, and that back line looks pretty settled, uh, except when Nelson gets thrown in as the cooler. And, um, yeah, I can't see any changes back there. So, yeah, um, Shuey for Langdon, depending on his availability, was my only change as well. Having a look at the Port forward line and talking about that settled Eagles back line, Tom Barras has been in fantastic form for the Eagles this year. Leads the league in marks. We've seen Gov, actually a few mixed reviews on Gov's game on the weekend, but I thought he got to a few contests, killed them wide as well. But then on the other side of the field, or rather on the other in the, in the other coloured jumper, you've got guys like Dixon, you've got Georgiades, Laddams, you mentioned, they've got Lysette, they've got Marshall, they've got tall guys that can go up there and bother the, the Barasses, the McGovern's, Hearns, Shepherds, etc. Huge matchup, Tom Barass versus Charlie Dixon. He kicked six goals last time the sides played. Obviously, that was almost the lowest ebb of the season following that Port Adelaide loss last year. To me, Miguel, this looms as one of the most decisive matchups on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think Barras will have Dixon for the entirety of the game. Uh, he'll be relying on um, guys like Hearn as well to, to sort of come across and, and force a double che- team and uh, get a get a fist in there. But yeah, difficult for him giving up a bit of size to Dixon, who's just about the, the biggest key forward going around. Uh, and yeah, in great form and, and flying and yeah, he'll uh, big job for Brass. He's in great form, but he will be relying on um, yeah help from his uh, his backline teammates and, and help from the the guys up the field as well in um, getting some pressure on and, and limiting the supply and the uh, and the quality of the supply coming into Dixon. But yeah, other guys around there as well. Um, Port have got a bit of a selection headache, but Georgiades only really only came in as a late change. Uh, then kicked four goals and some talk that he might get dropped again if Marshall's fit. So. Yeah, they're definitely a team that can stretch us and um, it's really good to have Rotham in the team and in good form as well. Yeah, big task for Rotham, big tasks for Shep as well, who's not, oh, I mean, this is his style, I guess, not really grabbing the headlines yet this year. It's really been more about Barras, but wait and see. I thought our defensive structure held up really well against the Dogs. They did get on top a little bit in the second quarter, but I think that's when the structure really showed that it was working. You know, we conceded a lot of possession, a lot of build-up play, Similar to what KK was saying last week when we played against Gold Coast, they got to the wing, they got it just beyond the wing with really relative ease, but then they didn't want to unload long, they didn't want to sit it up on anybody's head, they were happy to kick it to the boundary, they were getting a lot of marks, 50 out on the boundary or you know 45 out just in, not a lot of really great avenues for kicking a goal. You'd have to say though that Port, a lot better by way of tall forward talent, so they might be a little bit more willing to just unload it. Swinging it down the other end of the field, for everything Jeremy McGovern can do well, for everything Tom Barras can do well, 
Port Adelaide have added Alir Alir this season, and you know he's doing it just about as well as them. You've got him intercepting. You've got guys like Houston rebounding well out of the Port 50. A big matchup for our forwards. And is it almost time to deploy somebody like Langdon? Let's say he stays in, or maybe even a Cripps. They're giving away some height, but do you, do you give him a bit of a nullifying role as a forward? Yeah, that's an option. Certainly, I can't think of anyone who's who's got the build for it, really. It might be something that Waterman could do if he'd played. But yeah, you don't really want to sacrifice any of uh, maybe Allen to do it. Don't really want to sacrifice his game. So it would be... Um, would be a useful role to have. I just can't think of anyone at the moment who would uh, who'd fit the bill. But yeah, Port we've got Jonas and um, the other bloke whose name I've forgotten, uh, Tom Cleary back there as well. So they are a team that uh, will match up really well with our with our tall forwards. So yeah, it's um, that's been our big advantage I think this season so far. That and and Nick Nat's ruck and um, yeah, Port definitely one of the few teams that can probably match us in that regard. And yeah, Lee has been a great great pickup for them. And it's, uh, that's a really difficult one. You've thrown me a bit with that question because I can't think of uh, of anyone that really fits the bill. Well, there's no one unless you really sacrifice their game. Do you almost, when we play the Dogs, not counting this game we just played then, but when we play the Dogs, when we play the Tigers, when we play Frio, you know, there's always this concept that, oh, stick Elliot Yo on Fife, on Martin, on Bontempelli, let them go head to head. It's not a tag. It's not negating. It's just keeping them honest and ensuring that they have, you know, the opposition has to work both ways as well. Maybe with this, you just consistently force Aaliyah to be sitting on Oscar Allen, you know, and it's not sacrificial. Oscar Allen's still out there playing his role, but it's it's preventing Aaliyah Aaliyah from getting some third or fourth choice, just not really that impressive mid-size forward, dropping off him, intercepting, filling the hole. Now you're actually keeping him accountable in the way that we've seen teams try and make Gov accountable to try and nullify him. You know, maybe it's maybe it's poised for a big Oscar Allen game from a role point of view. Yeah, and that's something that the Bulldogs did with uh, with Gov that I noticed and the commentary picked up as well. They were trying, whoever had him was trying to take him back to the goal square and nullify his ability to um, roll off his opponent and, and help out as a third man up. So yeah, that's something that yeah maybe Allen or whoever gets Aaliyah can do because yeah, presumably he'll be utilised on one of those big three. Um, so any of those big three can yeah, have shown this season that they're dangerous enough to keep him honest. So yeah, maybe that's the way to go about it. Okay, Miguel, we unfortunately were split last week on our tips and even more unfortunate is that you were right last week. You had the dogs, <laughs> I had the eagles. You were right, well done. What do you have this week? Who is going to win? By how much are they going to win? And which eagle is going to stand up the most in what is going to be a really, really important game of footy? Uh, well, I did get panned last week for not tipping us even though I was right. So uh, this week, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll tip with my heart. Uh, I, I think we'll be able to match Port in the middle. Kelly and, and co. will rise to the challenge. Uh, having Shuey back in, because we'll get Shuey back in, um, that'll give us a boost. Uh, we'll, we'll finally start using Gaff's running the way we used to. Our forwards will continue to work in uh, whatever the three-person version of a tandem is. Um, a trio. A, tr- a trident. Yeah, trident. Yeah, okay. Yep. Um, so I'll pick uh, Eagles by 12, another close battle, um, and the uh, the raucous home crowd will get us over the line. And uh, best on ground, Jamie Cripps to find some form and, and kick three goals. That is, you're tipping with your heart there. That's a that's a Absolutely. prediction with your heart, that is. Uh, Miguel, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm tipping with my head. I've been burned. I got my hopes up. Really... After you got stuck into me last yep. week. Yep, I know. I understand. Have at it, villain of the week. After after we've talked about how openly biased we are, and we don't want—I don't know—am I? I maybe I'm protecting myself. 
maybe it's a it's an emotional hedge of my bets because all I, I know I'm saying all week obviously we've only just moved on from the dogs game but you know I like to think stuff what the coaches say one week at a time I like to think a few weeks in advance have a look at the fixtures see where we're at I think we can hang with Port I think we can we've listed all their good qualities they've got a lot of good players in the middle at both ends of the fields I get it they're a good team we're really good at home and I know Port have had some some success against us in the past. It's not going to shock me when we win. But for the sake of the pod, I have to tip Port. I just do. I'm really sorry. Port Adelaide by 22. Uh, the talent scares me in the midfield. I, I'm, I don't think Shuey's going to be ready. So I'm a little bit worried about the midfield dynamic we saw on the weekend going up against Port. Their forward line you'd expect to be a little bit more clinical than the Dogs, which, let's be honest, they kept us in a bit in that second quarter with some shocking kicking. I hope you're right. You were right last week. You've been 100% on the year so far. I'm all the way with Miguel Sanchez, if you are correct on this one. But for me, Port Adelaide by 22. Best eagle of field, I'll say Josh Kennedy. He was really nice on the weekend. Just looked great, kicking beautifully. Great forward pressure as well. I think he laid the first real instance of forward pressure. And he was 100, you know, what is he, 195, 96, something like that. And he was out yeah, there. Forced- about 45 years old. Yep. And he forced Caleb Daniel to kick it right down the throat of Jermaine Jones in the goal square. So some really nice bit of forward pressure there. Love to see it. He's up and about. Get stuff to all the haters. Josh Kennedy's going to lead us. But uh, hopefully you're right, Miguel. Hopefully he's leading us to a win. That'll do it from us this week. Miguel Sanchez, it's been a two-man pod this week, but I think we've done fairly nicely. Thank you very much for uh, for jumping on the show yet again. Yeah, no worries. And uh, I look forward to rubbing it in your face next week when we win. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play. No, I, I hope you're right. I really, really hope you're right. It would be massive. It really boosts the Eagles as well. I think it was Quinns that said following the Dogs game, I don't know the exact wording, but basically he said, look, for the season, that's probably a good game, but... For the sake of the game, that was a really brutal way to lose yesterday. I think they they showed that they can hang on the weekend. Don't bury dirt on the Eagles just yet. We're two rounds in, and hopefully they get the W in round three. Guys, thank you very much for listening. You can always get in contact with the show on Twitter, on Facebook, Big Footy, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of that good stuff. Send us a rating. Send us a review. Send us your three-word reviews. Send us your questions. Heroes and villains. Hey, if you've got a name for heroes and villains, send that through too. We just love hearing from you. So it's been fantastic, Miguel, having you on the show this week. Listeners, it's been great to have you along for the ride. We'll talk to you in a a week or so. Fingers crossed we're there to recap a massive Eagles victory. Bye for now. Bye.